Hello, and welcome to the Quest Church San Diego Sermon Podcast. Our church has a passion to reach people who are far from God, teach them to follow Jesus, and launch them out to serve God in the world. If you're in the San Diego area, we'd love for you to join us for a service. Please visit questsd.com to learn more about us, find out service times, and explore our ministries. If you have any questions, send us an email at info at questsd.com. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy today's message. This morning, we're going to talk about the importance of the word and what that looks like in, in a life that is thriving uh, with Jesus. And, and here's the thing. The word, really, I believe, if we're not in the word of God uh, as followers of Jesus, then we're going to find it very difficult to thrive. Uh, it is an essential uh, to thrive in a relationship with Christ uh, that we must find ourselves in the Word of God. And, and uh, this is a statistic, that's been, a statistic that's been around for quite a while, but I think it's safe to say if this, is, this statistic falls in uh, believers sharing their faith, it probably is a close second to believers being in the Word. Um, they say 95% of Christians have never shared their faith before. 95%. So that means 5% of Christians are actively sharing their faith. So if you take the, the, or the need uh, right now, especially in our climate and our day and age, I don't know about if you guys are aware of this, but I think people need Jesus more than ever right now. Would you guys agree to that? I think he's the answer. He is the solution to the world's problems. Uh, and I, I hate to burst some of your bubbles, but it's not going to be the next person that gets into office. It's Jesus. And I'm challenging people, 2024, let's vote for Jesus. Let's vote for Jesus Christ. Let's make him known. Let's speak his truth. Let's share his love. And, uh, and let's be out there like never before. But if only 95% of Christians, they say, are sharing their faith, then I would say it's safe to assume it's probably pretty close to that statistic as far as how many Christians are daily in the word, regularly feasting on God's word. And it is essential that we find ourselves in it because if we don't, we're going to find ourselves weary. We're going to find ourselves, uh, and I will tell you this, I know and I can tell a major difference when I'm not in the Word than when I am in the Word. And, and I give people a little guarantee that if they just spend two weeks in the Word, if maybe they're not in the Word regularly, if they find themselves in the Word for two weeks, um, they, I, I even noticed for myself when there's a, a dry period, and there's been dry periods before where there's times where I look and go, gosh, I have not been in the Word enough. I need to be in it more. And when I find myself in it on a regular basis, things are just better. Overall, my attitude is better. I have more patience. I have more grace for others. Uh, I have more uh, will. I have more drive to do things, to be out there. Uh, There is just a change that happens when we find ourselves in the Word of God. And, and we're going to talk about that this morning, why we experience that change. But we wanna, I want to just highlight a couple things about the Word of God, the Bible. We know this, that this Bible that we pick up and we read at church, uh, and, and many of us carry with us, and some of us have multiple versions, some of us have multiple copies. I, I always loved uh, hearing that Billy Graham... Uh, I, I uh, knew somebody who went to go visit Billy Graham once in his cabin, and before he passed, and he had a Bible literally 
in every spot of the house. He had a Bible by the couch. He had a Bible at his desk open. He had a Bible in the bathroom that was open. And they asked, why, do you, why are all these Bibles open? He said, it's because wherever I find myself sitting, if I go to answer the phone, when I hang the phone up, there's the Bible. I pick it up and I read it. If I go to the bathroom, there's the Bible. I pick it up and I read it. If I'm sitting outside drinking coffee, there's a Bible open, and I pick it up and I read it. And, and I loved that, uh, that, that passion that he had just to say, wherever I'm at, I want to be in the Word of God. We know some, uh, which I think is kind of a cool little thing, some people take the word Bible and they turn it into the acronym of uh, Basic Instructions Before leaving earth. So really, when we, when we look at our day and age, and we look at, and I'm just going to say it, the craziness that we are living in right now, uh, there's the, the, the place we need to be the most right now is in the Word of God, getting His instructions on how to live in our day and age. And I will be honest with you, I did not ever believe that I would be alive and I would be here in the church seeing what we are seeing today before us. I thought we would be, the church would be taken up a while back. Which tells me that our God is long-suffering and that our God truly is who he says he is. That he wants none to perish without knowing his son Jesus. So the only reason you and I are here today, the only reason this building is being occupied today and churches are gathering today is because God is not finished using his church. And I believe this wholeheartedly. We are coming to, we're, we're winding down to a time where I believe we're going to see very soon that the church is going to be more and more pushed out of community, pushed out of, we already know there's separation of church and state, but we're going to see more and more that the church is not going to be welcome anymore. Oh, we, we know what you guys stand for. We know what you believe. We know what you guys read. We, we don't want any of that here. We're going to find that more and more common. And I believe when the church no longer has a place to be effective in the community and a light in darkness, that's when Jesus is going to come say, okay, it's time. Time, I'm bringing you guys home. And that could happen right now. No, wait, right now. But any moment it could happen. We know that the Bible consists of 66 books. There's 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament. We know there are some 40 contributors to the Bible, written over a 1,500-year period. We know that those contributors consisted of kings, fishermen, priests, government officials, farmers, shepherds, and doctors. We know that the Old Testament starts off with describing really and, and showing us the founding of the nation of Israel and God's preservation for Israel, his promise to Israel. And, and uh, we know this, that the Bible, which is a pretty cool statistic, the Bible, there's no other book in history that has been printed more than the Bible. Over five billion copies have been printed and distributed. We know that the Bible right now is illegal in over 52 countries around the world. Illegal. And, and you'd be surprised. Sometimes we, uh, I was just looking at this yesterday as far as are there new countries that have banned the Bible. But we, we would have in our minds probably the ones we'd immediately think. Let's just say, we, we, we can say this. What would be, if you guys shouted out, what would be the first country you'd think you'd say, yes, the Bible would probably be illegal there? Where? China. It's a big one. North Korea. Saudi Arabia. 
Maldives. I mean, you go on and on. There's so many countries where the Bible is illegal. And it's interesting because, again, if it's basic instructions before leaving earth, it's interesting in the Bible, which a lot of maybe uh, communist governments would think and assume that maybe the Bible is going to teach people to not be subject to government, to overthrow rulers, to challenge authority. The Bible, in fact, tells us to pray for those who are over us. The Bible, sometimes, I'll just be honest with you, when I read what it says to do as far as those who are in leadership positions over us, I, sometimes today I read and go, I don't want to do that. I don't know if I want to pray for that. I don't know if I want to submit to that. I don't know if I want to be under that. And and the Bible is a threat because of its hope. It's hope. See, many today want us to be in a place of hopelessness. Hopelessness. We know that uh, the Old Testament, one, God promised to Israel that that they would be used to bless the whole world. If you're taking notes this morning, um, Sherwood was very, he's actually texting me right now saying I'm going too long. But, so I'm going to be quick on some of these. We might not be able to read all of these. I'm used to usually, our, our, our sermon time usually about two and a half hours at Horizon. So um, he told me five minutes tops. But uh, we know that God promised Israel that they would be, as a nation, used to bless the entire world. Genesis 12, if you want to write that address down, uh, we know that God promised Abraham. And, and God entered into a covenant with Abraham, that Abraham, through Abraham, that the world would be blessed. And then we know God raised up a man named David, who eventually became the king of Israel. And through David, we know that Jesus eventually came through the line of King David. And then we jump into the New Testament, and we get to see the whole life of that promise that would bless all the world, Jesus. We get to see his birth, his life, his ministry, his death, his resurrection. And then we, in the New Testament, we get to see the beginning of the church. And we are that church today, which is pretty amazing. We are the church that started in the book of Acts meeting today, which is pretty awesome. So we know that the Bible, again, is a threat to some. I love this. I heard a pastor sharing uh, this a couple weeks ago, but he was sharing about a, a Bible study that he was leading in China. And it was about, he said there was about 25 people in this group, in this home they were meeting in, and uh, he brought some Bibles with him, snuck them in. I, I have a few friends that they regularly go to China and they smuggle Bibles in, and, and, um, and I love how they do it. They're just super creative. And, and, um, but they, he was at this Bible study. He brought some Bibles. He started to hand them out. And he noticed this one lady at the study uh, handed her Bible to another person who didn't have one. And as he started his study, I think he was teaching out of Second Peter. As he started his study, he uh, noticed that this woman who had handed her Bible to somebody else in the study, he noticed that she was tracking and, and was actually speaking the verses before he even read them. And he stopped and said, he asked her, do you have this passage memorized? She said, well, I have most of the Bible memorized. He said, well, how did you do that? When did you do that? And she said, when I was in prison. Well, why were you in prison? For reading the Bible. She went to prison for reading the Bible, and guess what? She, that didn't stop her. 
she kept reading and memorizing and learning. And he asked this group of 25 people, he said, how many of you have been to prison for your faith? 18 people out of the 25 raised their hands. And then he found out that most of those people rode a train for 12 hours to get to that study. Tell you what, I don't know about you guys here at Quest, but at Horizon, I've, I, I regularly, our service starts at 10, and I like to announce on a regular basis that, hey, folks, we have a new service time starting next week at 10 a.m. And it kind of goes over people's heads, but it's a reminder that, hey, it's not 10.20 or 10.15, and we have a hard enough, some of us, we get up and go, oh, i got to get to church. 20-minute drive, I don't know how I'm going to do that. Gosh. I definitely have to have four coffees before I get there, and i got to go through here. And, and here's people who rode a train for 12 hours just to get to a little Bible study. 12 hours to get to hearing the Word of God being taught. So this is going to be our springboard this morning, Hebrews 4.12. If you would turn to the book of Hebrews, chapter 4, verse 12. Um, some of you know this verse some of you may say this is your life first. Some of you this morning, this might be your first time hearing this verse. And I am excited for you if it is your first time hearing this verse. And this is why being in the word of God is so amazing. Why, the, the, why this, is, this verse confirms why the word of God is different than just your average book that you would find on a shelf in a store or on a shelf in your home. It's not just a collection of stories. We know it's the word of God. In Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12, it says this. It says this about the word of God. For the word of God is living. It's living. See, this book that we are opening this morning, it is living. And, and that is a, a kind of a hard thing to somebody who's never opened it before, somebody who's never maybe been into a church before or heard the gospel before, that is kind of a strange thing to tell somebody, well, you know this book I have right here, uh, it is actually a living book. They might look at us and say, um, what drug are you on right now? That book's, it's just a book. In fact, I saw that book in your trunk the other day. I saw it on your couch the other day. That book is, is not living, it's just printed words. But see, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, tells us that it is living. It is living, and here's why the Word of God is living, because God is living. Amen? I don't know if you guys know this this morning. God is alive. One person said amen. That's good to know. One person feels that this morning. I don't know if you guys, again, I don't know if you heard me. God is alive. There we go. Okay, we're waking up. It's good. We're, we're slowly waking up. Again, remember, if I fall asleep, you guys got to wake me up. So, it's living because God is living. He is alive today. He is on the throne. He is in control. And I want to assure you, those this morning here that are following him, I want to assure you, he is in control. In fact, the very things we see unfolding before us today, he's aware of. And in fact, they have to happen in order for his plan to unfold. See, this earth, we sang it just a few minutes ago, is passing away. And amen to the fact that he is going to create a new heaven and a new earth. 
No more pain, no more sickness, no more theft, no more hate, no more crime, no more racism, no more fraud, no more taxes. Woo! No more politicians. Woo! Him reigning as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And us reigning and serving alongside of him. See, all that man has established and put in place, remember, God has not changed. The God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. So when man back in Genesis said, hey, we are so advanced and and we've got this all together, let's build ourselves this tower. If you remember the story in Genesis, the Tower of Babel, let's build it and let's reach the heavens with this. And God came in and said, "Mm, you know what, I'm going to bring a little bit of confusion to you guys in your build process here. And I'm going to basically have you all start talking in different languages. So as you look at the blueprints and the plans for this tower, you'll try to say, hey, to your foreman, I need you to do this. And he's going to look and go, what are you saying? I have no idea what is going on. And God stopped the progress of that building. See, man thinks they are advanced. Man thinks we're getting to space, which is pretty crazy to think that you and I in a very short amount of time may have the opportunity to say, yeah, I want to, I want to go up there. I'll check it out. That'd be cool. Buy a ticket for $500,000 and go to space. We may have that chance in the very near future. Man thinks, man thinks he's arrived. Man thinks he's figured it all out. But no, the things that man has put in place and man has established are temporary. And they will come down. See, God is eternal. God is forever. His word is living because he is living. 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us that all scripture is breathed out by God. Breathed out by God. So we know some 40 contributors uh, were considered to be authors of the Bible, but the reality and the truth is that God is the main author of the Bible. It is God-breathed. That's why, again, these words are living And not only is he the author of the word of God, but he also, the Bible tells us, he is the author and the finisher of our faith, which is pretty amazing. So if he's the author of the word of God and he's the author of our faith and the finisher of our faith, it shows us again, in order to thrive, it is so crucial to be in his word. And I want to give you this little challenge again, that if you're not in the word right now, I will tell you this, the the Word of God, the Bible, can be overwhelming. In fact, there are some portions of Scripture that you get into. Maybe maybe you do what I've done before where you open the Bible. You're like, I have no clue where to go, so I'm going to do one of these things. I'm just going to lay it down, flip it open. Wherever it lands, I'm going to read. And, and, and I will tell you this, if let's say you do that and you land in Leviticus and it's the first time you've read the Bible, it starts talking about cutting a turtle dove or a pigeon in half in two, and you're reading this and you're going... What, uh, what, how does this help me today with my marriage? How does this help me with my boss who I can't stand? I don't, I don't, I'm totally lost and confused. And again, as you, here's the thing. We need to get away from just simply reading the Bible to digging into the Word of God. Context is very important. I'll give you a quick example. Book of Song of Solomon. Anybody here ever read the Book of Song of Solomon? 
Okay, if you have disclaimer, you've got to be over 18 to read the book of Song of Solomon, okay? So, Song of Solomon, there are some things in there that Solomon says to the Shulamite woman that if we just read it and read it as, as we would take it as today in our modern times. For example, they're on their honeymoon night and Solomon says to the, his wife, he's looking at her and he's describing what he sees. Pretty amazing thing that we get to witness in Song of Solomon. He's going through and telling her, he's even telling her how beautiful her teeth are. This is how good this guy is. Now, some of you here are like, I wouldn't want anybody looking at my teeth, you know. And, and then he gets to her hair. And, and here's where context is important. He looks at his new bride and he says, your hair is like the hair of a flock of goats coming down the mountain of Gilead. Now, again, context, because here's what would happen today. Men, if you were to turn... Say you're dating a girl, and you're just like, you know what, I met her at church, i got to seal the deal. The Bible says, greet her with a holy kiss. If you have a man like that in your life that's at church that says, hey, can I kiss you? The Bible says, agree with it. No, 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 no. Tell Sherwood. Hopefully Sherwood will, will um, escort him off the campus. But if you were to say that today, hey, your hair looks like goat's hair. My first thought is Delmar Fair the animal area, petting zoo, goat rolling around in hay and its own, sorry, goat poop, and nappy hair that you could never get a comb through that's just smelly, dirty, gross. However, if you dig in and you look at the context, Solomon knew that this woman would know what he was talking about during their time, and you can actually Google these goats, and their hair was like silk, black hair that was like silk. And it was costly, and it was coveted, and it was something that she would have immediately known, oh, he's telling me that I have hair that is like silk, that costs money, that people want. So when we open the Word of God, we must not just go and say, I'm done. Didn't make any sense to me. Didn't get any of that. But really, when you start to look at the context of it, and you start to look at God's plan through it, you start to go, oh, it actually makes sense now. I get it. I see what God is doing. I see his plan. His word is living. Then Hebrews 4.12 tells us this. Not only is his word living, but it is active. Your translation this morning might say powerful. Um, and, and really what this word means active or powerful, it does mean active. It means that it's like operative. It means like it's, it's on a mission. It is out there working. And, and I want to share this morning before we wrap up, I want to share one thing that I find that is so amazing, which right now, more than ever, I think we need to see happen. But the Word of God is actively bringing people to the beginning that's one thing the Word of God does that it is actively doing. See, you might think, well, that's, that's an old book, the very beginning of the Bible, um, and, and it, it's not uh, current today. But here's one thing. It's, the Word of God is active, and I believe one thing that the Word of God actively is doing is bringing people to the beginning. And when you go to the beginning, you see God and you see His perfect plan, and His perfect plan from the beginning is under 
full attack right now and has been for quite a while. So if you would, I want you real quickly to turn to the book of Genesis. If you're new to the Bible, it's the very first book of the Bible. And we know that it's living the Word of God. We know that it's active. It's actively, I believe, it's actively doing many things. But one of the things that it actively is doing is pointing people again to the beginning. Bereshit is the word for, Hebrew word for beginning. And in fact, Genesis 1-1, let me know if you guys are there. You can just say, I'm there. Okay, you guys are good. You're fast. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The word of God is living and it's actively and it's actively pointing people back to the beginning and in so doing it is actively showing people that God is creator. He is creator, amen. And it actively is showing the earth and it actively is showing us that and the world that and it actively is showing that God is not only creator of heaven and earth but he's also creator of you and I. Go to chapter 2 of Genesis, chapter 2, verse 7. Chapter 2, verse 7 says, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. I love that we get to see God's breath breathed into Adam, and then we're told in uh, 2 Timothy 3.16 again that God's word, it is God breathed. The same breath that went into Adam's lungs breathed forth what we are reading today. It's God breathed. And then you look at verse 18 of chapter 2. Verse 18 of chapter 2 says this, Then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. And then we know God created Eve. How amazing is it that God looked in all of creation in the process, God looked and saw that it was good. God saw it was good. God saw that it was good. Then he looked at Adam and God said, it is not good that man should be alone. Men, if you are here this morning, I would like to hear a thank you, God. Okay, if you're sitting next to your wife and you're married and you want to thank God, I would encourage you to say it a little louder. Maybe a little, you might want to wise up and just say it a little louder. And don't be afraid to even stand up and like, praise God. Thank you, God. See, God looked, and here's the amazing thing we see in creation about God. God looked at Adam and said, there's something missing. Now, this might be a little hard to understand, but I I hope it comes through the right way. God looked at Adam And he said, there's something missing and lacking in your life that I cannot meet directly. However, I'm going to meet the need by creating woman. And she will be your helper. Now, man, that's very important. That does not mean that, oh, a woman was made just to basically do everything that we want them to do. No, if woman was made to be our helper, men, that means that God looked and said, Adam, you need some help, my friend. You need some help. There are some things that you're going to need help with, and a woman is going to be so much better at helping you through that than anything else. You need a helper. You need somebody to come alongside you. Now, here's the amazing thing. Adam didn't go to God and say, God, I feel lonely. 
In fact, Adam was complete. He had a relationship with God face-to-face in paradise, and, and, and he, was, he was good. We don't see him going and saying, God, I'm really bored, I'm lonely, uh, could you make me a woman? No, God actually sees this, and God says it's not good that he's alone. Let, let us, let, let's make a helper, let's make a woman, which tells me how good God is. God didn't need to do that. God could have, in a sense, held out and could have said, you know what, Adam and I are good. Adam and I are good. Just him and I, fellowship, talking every day, him getting to enjoy all my creation. He's good. He doesn't need to know about this. But God saw it to be something that would bless Adam. And God is the same today where he looks and says, how can I bless you? How can I bless your life? It's actively pointing us back to the beginning, pointing us to creation of heaven and earth, pointing us to the fact that he is creator. It's actively showing us back in chapter 1 of of Genesis in verse 27. Again, it says, so God created man in his own image. It is actively showing us that we were created In his image, you and I were meant to be image bearers of God. So here's what the devil has done. The devil has come along and said, okay, see the word is actively revealing and showing the truth that God is creator of heaven and earth, so we've got to come up with something that would debunk that and would get in the way of that and confuse people and a lie that would get people to look the other direction. So the devil's come along and said, you know what? There is this process that took place called evolution. And you know what I find interesting is that evolution, we, we've all seen these videos. We've turned on Discovery Channel or different things, and it used to be hundreds of thousands of years ago. Then it went to millions of years ago. Now we're in the billions of years ago. And here's what I think is happening is the, the more numbers they add to it, the more we just go, <laughs> Billions of years ago, I can't even comprehend what billions of years ago would. I'll believe whatever they tell me. I can't figure that out. If it's billions of years ago. But here's the reality. Whether you believe in God as creator or you believe that you came from a blob or there was a big explosion in the sky and we're all now driving Teslas. Whatever you believe, it requires faith for both. So an atheist requires faith to say... Nope, there is no God. Nope, he did not create heaven and earth. Evolution happened. Here's why it, crea- it requires faith. It requires faith for me to believe that God is creator. And here's the amazing thing. Scientific evidence and facts lean more towards God being creator than evolution ever could. But it still requires faith for both because neither of us were there. I was not there. So I have to put my faith in what this word is saying we have to put our faith in it God through his word is actively pointing people to his plan see and his plan was I'm going to create heaven and earth I'm going to then create 
all the fish of the sea, birds of the air, all the animals. I'm going to create all the, the fruit and vegetables and luscious plants and everything that man can benefit from. Then I'm going to create man and I'm going to put him in the garden and I'm going to give man dominion over all my creation. Man is going to be in charge. Here's what I think. Before the fall and before sin, Adam had dominion over all of God's creation. We ask the question sometimes, what was God thinking when he made the mosquito, right? What was God thinking when he made the fly? Some of you here love reptiles, um, and you may have reptiles. I, I personally am not a fan of the snake, never like snakes. And, and for those of you that say, oh, snakes are great, I just say, go back to Genesis and look what the snake did. I mean, come on, come on. If you have a pet snake, eventually it's going to turn on you and tell you to eat something. And when it starts talking to you, you better run. But, but here's the thing is that, that this plan is perfect, and this plan brings us to a place where we see that God intended for man to have him. Adam would have had dominion over that shark. That shark would have known, that's Adam. He's in charge of me. Today, the shark would say, I don't know if that's a seal. I don't know if it's a dolphin. I don't know if what it is, a turtle, but I'm hungry and I'm going to eat it. I don't care. And I believe because of the fall, so many things have gone out of order that God had put in perfect order. In fact, did you know after the fall, thorns came to be? Before sin, there were no thorns. Think about that. If you enjoy gardening, there'd be no thorns. Sin brought forth the worst part. The worst thing that sin brought forth was death. Death. See, God's word is actually pointing back to the beginning, and it points to his plan of creation Man being formed in his image, and then woman, and then it points to the plan of marriage, actively pointing to his plan of marriage. Be fruitful, be multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion. And then the devil comes along and says, okay, the creation part, let's do, let's see, what can we come up with that would sound kind of cool? Okay, let, let's evolution. All right, we got that. Okay, marriage. Okay, well, let's do whatever we can. The devil comes along and says, let's do whatever we can to attack marriage. Be fruitful and multiply. Okay, well, if we attack the marriage, then we ruin the family. And then God's perfect plan, today we're seeing more than ever, he created them male and female. More than ever today, we're seeing that plan. Now the devil is in full throttle saying, no, 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 no. Let's get rid of male. Let's get rid of female. Let's get rid of God's plan. Let's get rid of it all. See, I believe today, and I want to give you this challenge because I'm almost already out of time, and Sherwood is again. He actually just sent me, there's, I don't know if you guys know this, there's a fax machine at this pulpit. He just sent me a fax. But um, God's plan, again, is for us to get back to the beginning. And I want you to write this down because I want to challenge you to read this passage on your own time today. 2 Kings chapter 22, verses 1 through 11. 2 Kings 22, verses 1 through 11. I would challenge you to read this story today. Again, it's not just a story. It's actually living God's word. But 2 Kings chapter 22, we, we encounter a king in Israel by the name of Josiah, eight years old when he became king. Can you imagine? Just going to say it. I don't like to get into politics at church. 
but I feel like maybe an eight-year-old president today might do a good job. But um, he was eight years old. Honestly, there's some eight-year-olds that have some wisdom out there. There are. I, I, I know some. Uh, but eight years old, he becomes king. And what happens is, Hilkiah the priest, uh, you know, uh, he's put on this mission in a sense. They're collecting these alms and tithes for the temple. And, and Josiah, is, it, which I love, is, is saying, well, let the collection be done and, and let it be distributed for the needs of the temple. And in so doing, Hilkiah finds the word of God. He finds the law. And he gives it to, he reads it to this guy, Shapan, who is the assistant to King Josiah. And he reads the word of God to him. And he hears it. He says, I got to take this to King Josiah. And King Josiah opens this and reads the law. And immediately he tears his clothes. And he starts to repent. And King Josiah immediately is reading the word of God. And it's almost like, why have we not heard this before? We, we need this. And, and he brings, starts to bring Israel back to the law and the word of God. And here's what I believe. There are some, I believe wholeheartedly, that are completely clueless to the word of God. There are those, though, that know the word of God and they are doing all they can to keep us from it because of its truth. And, and, but I believe right now we need a King Josiah moment. We need leaders to be brought to the beginning to see God's word, that it's alive and active. And while it's alive and active, guess what? As they read it, 4.12 tells us, then it's sharper than a two-edged sword, and it goes in through bone and joints and marrow, and it's a discerner of the thoughts and intent of man's heart. It cuts through. Don't care who you are, king, president, Communist country, democratic, free reign country, doesn't matter who you are, celebrity, movie star, God's word can penetrate anyone's heart. In fact, we know that it can take a heart of stone and turn it into a heart of flesh. King Josiah read the word, was brought back to it, and then immediately knew this is what we need. I believe more than ever, if we could be brought back to the beginning and see his plan, and see what he had totally in store for us. See, his plan was for us to be in paradise with him. And then the fall happened, and, and I'm just going to wrap up real quick. Here's what else it does. It actively shows us, actively shows us what God's plan was before the fall, and then it actively shows us what his plan was after the fall. See, before the fall was paradise. After the fall, God began to do all he could to bring us back to paradise. And Jesus was his solution. In fact, Jesus is the main character of the Bible. He's seen starting in Genesis chapter 3. as God curses the serpent. Remember if you have a snake, it was cursed. But just kidding, I'm not giving you a hard time. He cursed the serpent, and then he said there would be enmity. He also said that there would be a seed. And that seed back in Genesis 3 was the prophecy of Jesus coming, which, would, which was promised to Israel. His word actively, again, living, and it's active. It actively points to his plan 
after Jesus. It shows us who we are with sin in our lives. And here's what happened. They fell. Here's what's cool. They were created, man and woman. Then it tells us the plan of marriage, man shall leave father and mother, cleave or hold fast unto his wife. The two will become one flesh. And then it tells us that the man and the woman were both naked and not ashamed. The fall happened. And I want to close with this thought. The fall happened. And the first thing they did, Adam and Eve looked and saw that they were naked and they were shameful. And they immediately sewed themselves coverings made out of leaves. And then they heard God coming in the cool of the day. And they hid themselves in the tree of the garden. As the worship team comes back up, I want this thought to be in your heart and mind today. Before the fall, no shame. Right after the fall, shame. In fact, God, who was their refuge before the fall, who they found all they needed in, all they needed was in found in him. As soon as the fall happened, they found themselves hiding from their refuge and finding refuge in the trees of the garden. It's interesting that today people find refuge in the garden. People find refuge in Mother Nature, which, you know, I believe God created the earth and its wonders to be a display of who he is, that we would look at it and go, that guy's got to be pretty amazing if he made that. He's got to be pretty awesome if he was able to do that. I want to worship that God, not the one that's the statue on the floor that doesn't move, doesn't breathe, doesn't talk. Actively get into the Word of God this week. And I challenge you, as you apply it to your lives, you will see Him change your life. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word, God, that You gave us Your Word. We thank You this morning for this truth, this fact that it's alive, because You are alive, God. And it is active. It's actively pointing us back to the beginning. It's actively showing us your perfect plan. It's actively showing us, Lord, that we are sinners in need of a Savior. It shows us who we are without you and who we are and who we can be with you. Lord, it actively renews and transforms our minds. It actively feeds us and nourishes us. It actively shines a light down into our path that we are walking on so that we can see which direction we should walk in. It actively is, is giving out wisdom 24-7. Your word is filled with your wisdom. We can find it there. And so often, God, I find myself looking to you and asking and, and saying these words, why aren't you speaking to me, God? Why aren't you showing me? Why aren't you doing this? And and so often I'm, I'm wanting you to speak to me, yet I'm not even opening your word. Your word. Maybe you're here this morning and you've been waiting for God to speak to you, to say something. Maybe you're like me. I remember at a young age, I remember challenging God and saying, God, if you're real, speak to me. Say something out loud. And, and that moment, discovering that God didn't say something out loud, made me even more frustrated. Yet when I truly opened his word and read it, God spoke out loud so if you need God to speak into your life today 
get into his word and let him meet you. Thrive in him. Lord, give us the discipline we need. Give us the strength we need. Let us see your word as what it is, Lord. Life, food, nutrients, strength, truth. More than ever, it's hope, Lord. We need hope today. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for this time that we get to spend worshiping you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining us for the Quest Church San Diego Sermon Podcast. We hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions about the Bible, need prayer, or recently made a commitment to follow Jesus, we'd love to hear from you. Please visit questsd.com to get connected. You can also send us an email at info at questsd.com to let us know how God is using these messages to encourage you in your walk with Jesus. Until next time, we pray you have a blessed week.